The reading is taken from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. The readings from 1 Peter 4, verse 12 to 5, verse 7. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. 
Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. That is the word of the Lord. Some people seem to be blessed with more than their fair share of natural ability. You just think, aren't they amazing? Albert Schweitzer is one such person, though he, he died in 1960-something. He was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1953. And it seemed that he was a man who could do anything he wanted. Just so amazingly gifted in so many ways. He was a scholar. He was a theologian. He was an internationally renowned concert organist. He wrote numerous books on theology and music in French and in German. And having done all that, he went on to study medicine. And he founded a hospital in Africa which could cater for 500 patients. He devoted his life to working as a doctor and a surgeon in the hospital, as well as being the pastor of a congregation out there, the administrator of the village, the superintendent of the buildings and the grounds, and a continuing writer of scholarly books, a commentator on contemporary history, a musician, and playing host to countless visitors from over the world. What an amazing man. And yet he could say, In my own life, anxiety, trouble and sorrow have been allotted to me at times in such abundant measure that had my nerves not been so strong, I must have broken down under the weight. Anxiety, trouble and sorrow in such measure that had my nerves not been so strong, I must have broken down under the weight. I use that example of a man that we cannot but admire to make the point that suffering from anxiety must not be taken as a sign of inadequacy. If you are anxious, you are not a failure. Albert Schweitzer was anything but a failure, but he was deeply troubled by anxiety. Anxiety can affect the best and the most capable of us. There's nothing to be ashamed of. What is anxiety? It's been described as an oppressive dread of a future threat that can't be defined. You can't put your finger on it and say, this is what I'm worried about. It's just a feeling that something is out there that is beyond your control and it makes you anxious and fearful. And if you struggle with anxiety, then no matter how much you tell yourself, there really is nothing to be anxious about. What's the worst that could happen? What could possibly go wrong? People cope with this kind of stuff all the time. Still, despite telling yourself that, it can still be a real struggle 
to put a lid on the anxiety and its effects. You know that really in the cold light of day there is nothing to worry about, but you still can't stop stressing anyway. And the effects of anxiety can be quite debilitating. You can feel sick, tense, light-headed, sweat profusely, at least men do, I know ladies never do that. You might have a headache, end up breathing faster, have a racing heart, high blood pressure, difficulty sleeping, and that, that churning feeling in the pit of your stomach. It's a horrible sensation. You know, in 21st century Britain, with all the security and the prosperity and the health care and the support and, and the structures that are in place, we have precious little, actually, to be anxious about compared with people living in other parts of the world or people of previous generations. And yet, despite that, one in three of us will experience a strong degree of anxiety at some point in our lives. And people scratch their heads and wonder why it is when we are so secure and so prosperous and we have so little to worry about, we still end up being anxious anyway. Some people say, well, it's a result of overprotective parenting. We've shielded the children from too much and they never have a chance actually to, to cope with real life because they've been protected all their lives. Others say, well, it's not that at all. Actually, if people have had a vulnerable childhood and they've had to live their lives in a constant state of red alert and so anything is enough to kind of make them anxious, the slightest thing is enough to put them on edge. Some people say, well, it's a result of the recent surge in technology that we find difficult to live with. Others say, well, it's, it's exam factory schooling. That's what's causing the problems. And others say, it's simply living in a society where there are no more simple choices. You go online to buy some milk from Tesco and you are confronted with 200 different options. Nothing is straightforward anymore. With so many choices, how can I be sure I'm making the right decision? How can I be sure I get it right? We are oppressed by by too many choices we have to make on a daily basis. It's too overwhelming for us to cope with easily. And you factor in things like a lack of exercise, because we're a fairly sedentary population these days, and people drink too much coffee, and we have too much sugar, and uh, too much alcohol. All of these things just make matters worse, actually. We can be our own worst enemies in that respect. So despite the fact that we live in a secure society, we are anxious. Now, you read Peter's letter... And you think, boy, the people he was writing to really did have something to be anxious about. They were suffering insults and persecution for their faith. They were going through the mill. They were oppressed and having a hard time. They were economically and socially marginalised. Life was tough. They were under pressure. And it's in that kind of context that Peter says, cast your anxiety on God because you matter to him. You can see the real issues that they were grappling with. Yeah, if I, if I were in that situation, I'd be anxious as well. And sometimes you think, actually, what am I worried about when I compare my situation with other people in the world? There is nothing that should concern me. In it, I'm not sure we should necessarily beat ourselves up because the things that trouble us are 
reasonably paltry and insignificant compared with what Peter's readers or countless people in the world face today on a daily basis. Some would say that anxiety is just part of the human condition. Henry Ward Beecher described anxiety, fear and ill-fated desire as signatures on the human face. Suffering and anxious care are written there. In other words, to some extent, to be human is to have anxiety. It's not just a modern phenomenon. Jesus says to people, don't be anxious about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink. They lived in a subsistence society. Actually making it from one end of the week to the other was a life and death matter. There was good reason to be anxious. And you read what Jesus says, actually, you know, it all seems a little bit too simple to say, well, if God, you know, clothes the flowers of the field, he feeds the birds of the air, you don't need to worry. But in that context, Jesus was able to say, actually, you know, worrying doesn't make any difference. So you might as well just give it to God and, and get on with making the most of your life. It may be that in a context where we don't have to worry about where our next meal is coming from, or how we're going to feed and clothe ourselves and our family, then in the absence of those immediate needs, we just worry about something else instead. Maybe that's just our tendency. We need something to worry about, even if we're worried about the fact we're not worrying at the moment. But if we're prone to anxiety, we have good reason to be grateful to Peter for offering us a threefold remedy. He says, firstly, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Secondly, cast your anxiety upon him. Thirdly, because he cares for you. You need to recognise that. I'm going to deal with all those three points, but not in that order. Thomas Merton suggests that anxiety usually comes from strain. And strain is caused by too complete a dependence on ourselves, on our own devices, our own plans, our own idea of what we are able to do. If he's right, then it's helpful to replace that over-dependence on ourselves with a readiness to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. Bottom line is, it all depends on him. Doesn't rest on my shoulders. The buck stops with him, doesn't stop with me. I was so pleased, Abby, you talked about, you know, my exam results are, you know, they will be what they will be. I'm, I'm, you know, I know that whatever happens, my relationship with God will be firm. You ask yourself, am I going to pass that exam? Am I going to get that job? Am I going to be able to make a success of this? Questions like that breed anxiety. Peter invites us to understand that asking such questions can be to take too much on ourselves. If God's powerful hand is on our lives, then he's the one who lifts us up or leaves us where we are. When the time is right, Peter says, he will lift you up. Now clearly, trusting God like that is no substitute for hard work and careful preparation, whether at school, at college, or in our jobs. We are called to honour God by giving everything that comes our way the best shot that we have. But we're also called to recognise that the outcome for all those things which are outside of our control 
not left to random fate, but it's left in the hands of the God who is powerful and who cares for us. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, cast your anxiety upon him because he cares for you, Peter says. You matter to him. You are on his agenda. He is concerned for you and what happens to you. And so you can trust him. You can trust him with the unknown. You can trust him for what is outside of your control because it's not outside of his. And whatever imagined thing it is that we dread about, the reality is that our future is defined by the surpassing reality of a God who is concerned for us and who has promised that he will always be with us and he will take good care of us, whatever happens. That doesn't mean that nothing will ever go wrong, that we'll have a smooth, trouble-free passage through life. But we can be assured that whatever comes out of the blue for us is not taking God by surprise. He's seen it coming. He knows what's there. He has foreseen it and will, by his grace, enable us to find a way through it if we humble ourselves under his mighty hand. God, it's all too much. Put it in your hands. Help me to trust you. Trust in your care. And we're not entrusting ourselves to some impersonal force. We're not shrugging our shoulders and saying, well, it's just, it's just fate. We're putting our trust in a God who who knows us inside out, who knows what the future holds, and who is 100% committed committed to looking after us, whatever that future might bring. And the knowledge that the future is in God's hands need not be scary because he's big enough to take care of the future and of us. Stanley Jones puts it this way, if God has you, he has your yesterdays. And your tomorrows. He has your yesterdays and forgives all that has been amiss in them. He has your tomorrows and will provide grace and power to meet them. But only as they come. He will not provide for what is not yet here. His grace is like a manna. When kept for over a day it's spoiled. It had to be eaten day by day. If, you, if you've read the story of Corrie ten Boom, The, the Hiding Place, you'll know that she was very anxious at one point about dying and, and what was going to happen. And her father, this was obviously in pre-internet days, her father takes us to the station and says, now, Corrie, if we're going to catch a train, uh, we need a ticket, don't we? Yes, yeah. And so w- when do you get your ticket? Well, you go down to the station and you buy your ticket when you're ready to get on the train. He says, well, yes, absolutely. You have your ticket when you need it to make the journey. God gives you the resources for that journey, when you need to make it. You don't need to be scared about what might happen in the future because the future isn't there yet. But when that moment comes, God will give you the tickets you need to make that journey. When you need it, whatever that journey is, through death or whatever. This is the God who cares about us each day. This is the God who invites us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Resources for each day as it comes. 
To paraphrase Jesus, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Deal with tomorrow's worries tomorrow. Just take life one day at a time. So what do we do with those anxieties that gnaw away at us anyway? Peter says, chuck them in God's lap. Dump them on God. One last quotation from Geoffrey Harding this time. The release of anxiety is to turn cares into prayers. If we feel anxious about somebody, ill, or in danger, or need, that anxiety does no good to us or to them. But if that anxiety is turned into a prayer, it widens and enriches our spiritual life, it turns a thought which is depressing into a thought which is uplifting, and it helps the person we are praying for. Does that sound just a bit too easy to you? When anxieties are circling in our minds like sharks waiting to close in for the kill, it's hard to get rid of them. When we're wrapped up in anxiety, it's hard to be aware of the presence and the reality and the love of God. But Peter's image of casting our anxieties on him, on God, is like offloading them onto his shoulders, passing the responsibility onto him. Offloading in that kind of way doesn't mean that we are careless in the sense that we just stop bothering, but it is a step in the direction of being carefree. People who are stressed sometimes find that just having someone listen to them makes a huge difference. You, know, you, you have someone kind of unburden themselves upon you. And at the end they say, thank you so much for listening. And you haven't said anything. You've just been attentive and sympathetic and available. But the articulation of that anxiety has proved to be a relief to them. Talking something through gives people a sense of not being totally isolated, not being alone, not carrying the burden of responsibility single-handed. Somehow the ability to articulate what bothers us means that we are no longer dominated by that anxiety. It's well known that talking our anxieties through with someone else can certainly help. Trouble shared is a trouble halved, they say. Praying can work that way as well sometimes. Just to speak to God as if, I say as if because he actually is there, but to speak God as if he were another person in the room with you. So, you know, this is what burdens me. And actually to, to have that consciousness, you know, that God is as real as the person you wish was in the room that you could talk to. And to recognise that and to talk to God as somebody else who is actually there. It can be a matter of taking the time to be still and to recognise that God's presence is in your heart and that therefore at least in that little corner of your soul there is a place where he is in charge. Your anxious thoughts aren't dominating anything. Everything. 
that actually God is bigger than the anxieties that trouble you. And from that core in your being, ask him to extend his peace into your heart and into your mind. To take charge of your thoughts and your feelings. Lord, govern what will happen and my response to it, I pray. Sometimes I will, I will, I've said this before, you know, I make no apology for it, I'll make the sign of the cross upon myself and say, Lord, govern my mind and my heart, be my help and my shield. And just doing that symbolic act makes me feel as if I am covered with the presence of Christ as a protection against whatever lies ahead. The knowledge that God does govern what I think. God does govern what I feel. God will be my helper. God will be my protection. It can be helpful to express what troubles you in words. That's a practical way of breaking the cycle of anxiety and turning it into prayer. Because if you're anxious, it's a a complete circle of inefficient thought whirling around on a pivot of fear. But my, my father having that in his, in his living room once. But to actually put it in words, which is why it's so helpful to talk to somebody else, means it's not just whirling around in your mind, you are getting it out there. So to express in words what troubles you to God. God, I am anxious about this. God, would you please take care of that? Lord, I give you the fear I have about this person or what is facing me. Because if you don't express it in words, there is a danger you just climb back on the anxiety treadmill again. You're not broken out of the cycle of anxiety. And if you feel silly talking about that, as I expect some of us do, then write down what you need to say to God and put it in words on a piece of paper. Other people find it helpful just to go out for a walk with God and pour out their soul to him on the move. But whatever means... By whatever means, God wants to bring you to the point of recognising that your life is in his hands and he cares for you. And you can entrust him with your pressures and your anxieties and your fears. And actually, it's not just your problem. He takes it on his shoulders as well. And even if the situation is entirely one of your own making, it's your own stupid fault, he still wants to get involved because he cares about you. So, cast all your cares upon him. Humble yourself under his mighty hand and in due course of time he will lift you up. Why? Because as it says in Proverbs chapter 11, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. To all those who humble themselves under his hand and say, Lord, I give it to you. I acknowledge your sovereignty. I put my trust in you. My life is in your hands. To those who do that, he gives grace. And he will not fail you. He will not desert you. Whatever comes your way, whether it's good or bad, he will be your shield your protector, your deliverer, and your strength. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Cast all your cares upon him, because he cares for you.
Let's pray. Lord, as ever, that is easier said than done. Lord, in the stillness, we name it before you, our anxieties. Our anxieties about what this week will bring. Our anxieties that are longer term, the things that we're scared of. Our anxieties about our own lack of ability to cope. Our anxieties about our very practical financial needs. Our anxieties about our health. Our anxieties about whether you're real or not, even sometimes. Our anxieties for those who matter to us, for their well-being. And as our anxieties, as we read and listen to the news and see the world such a dangerous place. Thank you, Lord, that we're not alone. That you are a God who actively cares for us. That we matter to you. We humble ourselves under your mighty hand because you are Lord. Help us to place our anxieties into your lap. And to withdraw our hand Lord, we leave the outcome of our anxieties to you. But we pray that as we move into the future, whatever that might hold, that at every stage we would know your presence, your grace and your faithfulness. And you'd enable us to put our confidence in you. The God who will never leave us nor forsake us. In Jesus' name, amen.